Lakewood Church is in danger. We're facing a threat that is putting our very future in jeopardy. Now, you might immediately begin to think, Rick, what is that danger that you're wanting to draw our attention to? Is it the fact that someone is trying to insert heresy into our doctrinal statement? No, that's not it. Are the offerings so low that the church office can't pay our bills? Are we being influenced in some way by the values of a postmodern culture? Could be, but that's not the danger I'm speaking about. Is there a moral problem on staff that has just now come to light? Nope. Has the search team run out of any potential candidates to consider coming here? Nope, that's not it either. Now, to put this into perspective a little bit, the threat we're facing is not unique just to Lakewood. In fact, the threat that we are facing is the same threat that is running rampant among so many evangelical churches across our country that are very similar to us. This menace has the potential to completely obliterate the last 60 years of ministry that this church has had. What is that danger? It's called the slow fade. I gave an extensive presentation to the elder board about this earlier in the year. Let me in brief just describe it for you. When a new church starts, typically it starts as a movement. It's born with a spark of gospel energy. The founding families were gripped by the question, what if, or imagine if. And the more they prayed about the answer to what if, or imagine if, the more they were gripped by God in something that He wanted to do and created a compelling sense of urgency inside them, a reality that just had to happen. Their dreams called for outrageous faith. There was a sense of joy, there was a sense of even destiny that others who heard about this dream felt compelled and wanted to become a part of it. So originally, everybody believed, everybody was serving, everybody was sacrificing. And sure, there were problems. No churches without problems. But in that early movement stage, everybody saw God at work. The focus was always outward. Flexibility, spontaneity, adaptability were values that were highly thought of. It was like the church was on this upward trajectory. But as is often the case, movements can give way to a second stage of becoming a monument. Like a literal concrete or marble monument, the past starts to usurp the future. Instead of daring faith, there is a desire to preserve the status quo. The focus slips from looking outward to looking inward. Early in the monument stage, the momentum that had been 
happening during the movement stage continues to push things forward, but only for a period of time before the arc starts to come back down. Eventually, energy begins to dry up. It doesn't seem like God is blessing like he once did. Duty, policy, trump vision. A concern for safety begins to squash taking risk. Stories are shared, but they're stories of the past, not of current fruit that's happening. And if nothing is done, a church then enters a third stage, that of being a morgue. Decline very obviously begins to set in. The church may have the financial resources to keep on functioning, but it literally just becomes a hollow shell of what it once was. And the dying, all those characteristics can be seen in a lack of flexibility, a tight holding on to traditions, uh, uh, low morale, increasing conflicts and polarization among people. The focus in the morgue stage is to maintain, but not to change. Pretty sobering stuff, isn't it? And it needs to be sobering to us. So what can be done about the slow fade that can grip any church? There's only one answer. And the only answer is to dream again. Now, Why is dreaming the answer, and what do I mean by dreaming again? Well, let me start to put it into perspective for all of us by mentioning this. Of all the potential vacation spots that families could consider, at the very top or near always at the top of that list would be Disney. Why? Because even though they started back in the 50s, Disney has effectively, year by year and generation after generation, avoided the slow fade. All because they have never deviated away or forgotten what their founding fathers said and did. So you go all the way back to 1952, where Walt Disney gathered together a group of his most respected artists and animators and designers in order to imagine together a new version of the traditional amusement park, which we have as Disneyland now. He called this team his Imagineers. And their mission was, and even continues to this day, to be to continue to drive forward Walt's vision, to to continue to see, even though there are technological and cultural changes happening in the world, that this vision will continue to move forward without losing sight of the core concept of providing family-friendly fun. Well, you may know that today there's actually a department at Disney called Imagineering. And the word Imagineering is a marriage of the two words imagination and engineering. So these individuals not only dream big, but then they build those dreams as well. And so as a result, Disney parks consistently welcome millions of people to their facilities in Florida or Southern California, France, Japan, Hong Kong. Literally, the sun never sets on this international enterprise 
The sun never sets on a Disney park. All because Walt Disney at one time said, Disneyland will never be completed. It will continue to grow as long as there is imagination left in the world. When I read that quote this week, you know what came to mind? Is to insert us into that quote. Lakewood will never be completed. It will continue to grow as long as there is imagination left in the world. <laughs> now, obviously, we as a church, we, our goal is not to provide family-friendly entertainment at a profitability rate that will satisfy our investors. That's not our goal at all. But we do have a lot that's in common with Disney. We have a founding father who has given, us a, has given us a clear and compelling mission that can endure through all the changes that happen around us generation after generation if we will engage in imagineering. That's what I want to talk about this morning. And to begin, it may surprise you that imagineering is God's idea from the very conception of the church. If you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to Joel chapter 2, to that minor prophet buried away in the last part of your Old Testament. It's probably where the pages of your Bible still stick together. That's okay. We're going to look at a prophecy in Joel that hundreds of years before it started to happen at the day of Pentecost when the church was born, it was originally announced. Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 28, we are told that in a new, unheard of way, the Spirit of God was going to be poured out. Look at the first, look at how verse 28 starts. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now remember where we are in Joel. We are in the Old Testament. We are still under the Old Covenant. Now, was God's Spirit active? Yes, God's Spirit was active, but His ministry was very selective. He would come upon certain individuals in order to accomplish certain purposes. But to Joel, here in chapter 2, verse 28, it was revealed that there was going to come a time in the future when everyone, notice the statement, all flesh, could experience this remarkable infusion of God's Spirit being poured out into their lives. Now notice how the, the passage here tells us who is going to receive this outpouring. Look at how verse 28 ends. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit. So the Spirit's going to come on sons, daughters, old men, young men, male, female servants. In other words, it's not going to be a selective outpouring any longer. Rather, it's going to be an all-inclusive one. The Spirit is going to be poured out on all ages, both genders, on all social classes. And what's going to happen when this outpouring comes? Well, again, look at the text. Three things. First, some are going to prophesy. 
No, we're somewhere going to become prophets. And a prophet is one who is an authorized spokesperson reporting on what God has revealed to them. Second thing, some are going to dream dreams, meaning while they are asleep, God is going to reveal current or future reality that is invisible to their physical eye. Third, some are going to see visions. Interesting, that word vision, um, in the Old Testament, a person who saw visions was called a seer, meaning they saw with their eyes things that others could not see. So being given a vision means while you're awake, God allows them to see a current or a future reality of something that's invisible to everybody else. This prophecy jumps then into the New Testament. On the day of Pentecost, after Jesus died but then was resurrected from the dead, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, identified the outpouring of the Spirit of God on that day to be this prophecy beginning to be fulfilled. And what Joel 2 says would happen began to happen. Individuals were given spirit-enabled ability to prophesy, to dream dreams, and to have visions. Now, one of the wonder, most wonderful things that we are the beneficiaries of, and, that, and it is only one part of this prophecy's fulfillment, and that is it provided God's revelation to us in an inspired, inerrant, completely trustworthy written form. Many of you are holding it in your laps. It's your Bible. In other words, the original eyewitnesses guided by the Holy Spirit wrote down as they remembered what Jesus did, as they remembered what Jesus said, and how it all should then impact our lives. We have that now in written form. Wonderful part of the fulfillment of that prophecy, but it didn't end with just that. The outpouring of God's Spirit did not stop with the first-generation church. It continues in every generation since. The Spirit of God is still at work among us. Doing what? Well, <clears throat> doing what the prophecy said it would do. Opening eyes to see what is real but is not physically seen. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. <clears throat> One in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 6 tells us the remarkable story of the king of Syria who kept invading Israel to conquer it, but Elisha, the prophet of God, was told by God what the king of Syria was going to do. He alerted the king of Israel, and so he could avoid having to go into battle and be defeated by the king of Syria. Finally, the king of Syria got fed up with this and decided, I'm going to take out Elisha. He found out where Elisha was in the city of Dothan. He comes and surrounds the whole city with his chariots <clears throat> in the middle of the night. Second Kings chapter 6, Elisha's servant goes out early one morning, probably to get the morning paper, and he sees suddenly the desperate situation that they're in. The whole city is surrounded by the Syrian army. He rushes back in to tell this to the prophet. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 15, we have these words. Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, do not be afraid. 
For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. If you'd have been the servant, wouldn't you have thought, yeah, but you haven't been outside this morning? (laughs) Then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Folks, that is the work of the Spirit of God, enlightening, opening an eyes to see that which is physically we cannot see with our, with our naked eye. But this is repeated, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul is praying for the followers of Jesus Christ, and he says, I pray that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Notice, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The followers of Jesus Christ need to have this ability to see what we cannot physically see with our literal eyes. And therefore, it literally becomes part of our lifestyle. Paul describes that to us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, when he says, So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We sang that in the very first song this morning. Therefore, we walk by faith and not by sight. The Spirit of God, my friends, is still doing this work. He's still giving us, His followers, the ability to, through dreams and visions, the ability to see unseen reality. Now, some of you are probably getting nervous this morning, aren't you? Where am I going with all of this? And why do we get nervous with this? Because we have seen in the Christian community some that have taken verses and prophecies like this and pushed it out to an unbiblical extreme. And so what do we do? We head in the opposite direction. But it should not make us nervous. This is biblical stuff that should actually excite us to realize that imagineering is God's idea to be active now in the life of His church. So back to one of my original questions. So what does it mean to dream again for us? It is to allow the Spirit of God to empower our sanctified imaginations. I mean, for what does the word imagination mean? The ability to image what is not visible to our eyes. And did you realize that Jesus asks us for, to kick in our imaginations every time that he was telling a parable? So, for example, Matthew chapter, I mean Matthew, Mark chapter 4 and verse 3, Jesus begins a parable and says, a sower went out to sow. He didn't point and say, see that sower over there who's getting ready to sow? No, he said, imagine a sower going out to sow. And everybody in his audience at that point, immediately their minds kicked into that image Oh, yeah, I've been there. I have seen a cult of, I mean, a plowed-up field, and here comes the sower with his bag of seed and his stick, and he pokes it in the ground and puts in some seeds and covers it up and pokes it and goes all the way down the line. They immediately were able to image what Jesus was talking about. Did the same thing again in Luke chapter 13 and verse 9 when he starts a parable by saying the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. They've all held a mustard seed in the palm of their hand, that little itty bitty tiny seed. They understood where Jesus was going 
as he mentioned that. Or Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus begins by saying, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. All of them had probably been down that road. They knew how long it was. They knew how quickly it dropped. They knew the dangers of going down that road alone. Their imaginations immediately jumped into that story because they had been there and done that. Rankin Wilborn, in his book, Union with Christ, says, imaging is necessary. We must use our imaginations if we want to fully experience the life God intended for us in Christ. Because Jesus Christ asks us to. And even the rest of the New Testament writers, again, they want us to use our spiritual imaginations to see spiritual reality that our physical eyes cannot see. A couple examples, John chapter 15. We are to image our life in Christ as vines being connected in to, I mean, branches being connected into the vine. Ephesians 5, <clears throat> we are asked to image that our life in Christ parallels the marriage relationship. 1 Corinthians 12, we're asked to image how we relate to Christ as literally all of the physical parts of our body due to our brain and our head. 1 Peter 2, we are to image that our corporate life together is like living stones being built together into a temple. I'm mentioning all of this because I want us to see how imagineering is God's idea that can stop the slow fade in a church. Turn, if you would, if you've been with me in Joel chapter 2, now turn all the way into the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul ends the first three chapters of Ephesians with a prayer and then that prayer ends with a doxology, uh, uh, some words of praise to Almighty God. Before we look at the details, let's first of all consider the context of the prayer. What is Paul's main point in this final prayer in Ephesians 3 that starts at verse 14 and runs down to verse 21? Well, look at the very last statement. So to him be glory in the church. So Paul's main point is he is asking that God would be glorified in the church. So let's back up then into this. How is God to be glorified in the church? Well, look at the next major statement that he makes, and that is verse 19. God's glorified in the church when we are filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. And how are we filled with the fullness of God? Back up some more to verse 18 and verse 19. We're filled with the fullness of God as we know and experience God's love for us. And how do we come to know and experience that? Back up now to verse 17. As the Spirit gives us the power to realize that Christ is dwelling in our hearts. See, these are some absolutely wonderful and mind-blowing things that God intends for us to enjoy in Christ. And as we experience them and live them out, God is glorified then among us. Okay, now let's look at the content, specifically of the doxology. With that context in mind, let's look at the content. Verse 20. Kirk read it just a few moments ago. Now to him who is able 
to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. Folks, when was the last time you just let that truth of verse 20 sink in? We cannot ask too much of God, nor can we have grander dreams than God can accomplish. It's just not possible. For our God is able to do far more abundantly than anything that we could ask, anything that we could possibly imagine. If you're taking notes this morning, here's a great cross-reference to put down, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, where Paul says, What no eye has seen, okay, see that? He's talking about, you can't see this with your eye. Nor ear heard, you've never heard it physically, audibly, nor heart of man imagined, this goes beyond anything that man has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What a healthy reminder that is for all of us this morning. Our God is capable of doing anything. Nothing is impossible for him. And so if you look at verse 20, don't miss the implication. Paul assumes that we're going to be asking God for things. Paul assumes that we're going to be bringing our imaging to him of what what if, imagine this. We never have to worry that we are going to exceed God's resources. So what stops us then from dreaming? What stops us from um, allowing our imaginations to consider what could be possible? Fear. It's fear of failure, isn't it, that stops us. Fear of what others might think of us. Fear of appearing silly or maybe incompetent. Fear of something getting out of control. Fear kills imagining. But look at the last phrase of verse 20 because there's an important thing we haven't addressed yet, and it actually gives us the key to what is Imagineering all about and how does it kill the slow fade in a church? What's that last phrase of verse 20? According to the power at work within us. Ooh. Spirit-led dreaming. Spirit-led Imagineering that stops the slow fade within a church involves personal transformation. It is the power that's at work within us. Which which means then that as individual lives change, that then will change the trajectory and tenor and tone of the whole body. So imaging, imagining, dreaming that will change a church and cause it to become a movement once again, starts personally by asking God, Lord, how do you want to change me? And the more people that start to do that, the more the whole body begins to radically be altered. Now look at that phrase again. Paul says, according to the power that's at work within you. What's the power that's at work within us? Well, if you're here in Ephesians 3, just back up one page. Back up to Ephesians 1 and verse 18, part of which I read earlier. 
Paul's praying for us. And he says, I want you to have the spirit of God, of glory, excuse me, give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes enlightened that you may know, and then there's three things he wants us to know, what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and third, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We have resurrection power at work in us. It's a divine power that can bring dead things back to life. So if God is capable of bringing the dead and reviving it, that means there's absolutely nothing that can't change inside of us. Resurrection power can make all things new. And if that is possible, then Lakewood can again become a movement. So let me tell you where we're going in the next couple of weeks. This is a process that's going to unfold among us. In the next couple of weeks, we are going to allow imagineering to impact us as a church. How are we going to do that? Well, first of all, in the coming Sundays, we're going to examine three different snapshots of the local church. There are three very powerful snapshots we are given of what the outpouring of the Spirit of God did in that first generation. And so Sunday by Sunday, we're going to look at each three of those. Then as we look at each one of those three, we're going to ask this question. If that's what the Spirit of God did then, what might He want to do here and now? So one of the things we're going to provide for you, and we're going to provide it at the end, uh, the ushers will have it at the back, is we're going to give you this little card that says, Dream Again. On the back side, it's blank except for the words, What if? I want you to grab one today, and I want you to grab a new one every week while we're in this series. Believing that the Spirit of God, who is still alive and at work, having been poured out on us, wants to give us new, some new dreams for, for Lakewood about what He has in mind for us here. That Yes, it's going to start with us personally, but fill in the blank, what if each week? as you sense the Lord moving by His Spirit in your life. And then pick up a new one of these cards every week and keep adding to it as we examine what God was doing in that early church. Now, I wouldn't be a very good pastor or your interim pastor if I didn't recognize that all this talk about visions, dreams, and prophecies, and imagination is not making some of you nervous. Um... So let me tell you what Imagineering is not. Am I borrowing this from Disney? Absolutely. I just know who to, where to steal the good stuff from. But let me tell you what it's not. Imagineering is not being disloyal to the original dream and vision that started Lakewood. But Imagineering is being grateful for what was and yet realizing that it's not enough for what lies ahead. In other words, as you've already seen on the screen earlier, what got us here 
will not get us there. So Imagineering is not being disloyal to what got us here. Second thing, Imagineering is not human-powered effort. Can it be? Oh, absolutely, it can be. Proverbs chapter, I mean not Proverbs, Psalm 30, Psalms 73 verse 7 speaks of people in this world and how the imaginations of their heart run riots. That, that can happen, but that's not what I'm talking about. Our imagineering, our dreaming is to be spirit-led, spirit-guided with the goal that God will be glorified in it all. Maybe a story from my own life would be of help, how this worked. Back in the fall of 2013, Lucy and I entered into our, our second interim. And it was with a Emmanuel Baptist Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, our hometown, we entered into Emmanuel, and it was a church with a history of 150 years. Y'all remember the phrase, Pikes Peak or Bust, the, the gold rush into the Colorado region? That's when the church was founded, 150 years earlier. In 150 years, it had quite a journey. In the mid-50s, late 50s, it would have been what we call today a mega church. It had the facilities and the property, and literally thousands of people were there on a Sunday. That was in the 50s. When Lucy and I showed up in 2013, there were 40 people. You know how the rows here, we've kind of stretched them out a little bit because of the coronavirus. They had business class seating in their worship service, you could not reach out your foot and touch the row in front of you because we had spread it out so much because we just didn't need that many chairs in, in the large worship facility. The average age in that church was about 80. Average. The youngest was a couple in their mid-30s. There were no kids, so there was no nursery. There was no Sunday school. Have you ever tried to revive a church where the average age is in their 80s? Folks, there were times when I pled, God, would you please get me out of this? The vast majority of the church drove into that community from their homes miles away. Nobody lived next door, so they had lost contact with their community. And that community had, had evolved over the years to be a very kind of a rough area of town. Um, most were single parents. Many were having major drug problems or other abusive uh, problems, abuse problems. Um, there was a lot of sexual puzzlement. Uh, it was just a very rough side of town, and they had lost their total connection to it. We started a transition team, much like Lakewood did, a group of some people that were really committed to seeing God do something there. And in the first months as Steve Anderson did here, there's some evaluations that were done to kind of get a grip on what was happening at Emmanuel Baptist. And what was happening was not pretty. I remember the night that I sat with the transition team and they realized, we're dying. We are living off of a savings fund that's going to be gone in about 12 months. 
And if something doesn't happen, we're going to have to put a for sale sign on the outside. Visitors were not coming. New things were not happening. Remember I mentioned earlier, the blessing of God seemed to have evaporated. And remember, I didn't try to encourage them that night. God just seemed to say to me, Rick, just stay silent. Let them feel this. And we all left and went home. The next day, I got a phone call. I got a phone call from a young man who was planting a church about 10 blocks away from us. And he said, Rick, I, we've never met, but could we meet with any of the rest of the leaders of your church to consider you all renting us some classroom space at night because we've got a recovery ministry and we don't have the room? I said, sure. So I arranged for myself and the chairman of the elder board to meet with Dr. Eric. Um, and we sat down together and began to, to talk. And I remember Dr. Eric was describing how they had just planted this church, I think it was nine months earlier. They were experiencing 50% conversion growth. Because of their ministry to reach into this hardened, hurting community. I mean, they were dialed in on these people. And people were coming to Christ literally every single week. And so he was describing, hey, would you be open to, for at nights we could come and rent some of your facilities? And I remember I was sitting there at the table, and the, the chairman of our elder board and Dr. Eric were talking back and forth, and it was kind of like I went into a zone. And all of a sudden I interrupted them, and I said, could it be, could it be that what God has in mind is not the renting of facilities but something larger and more impactful for kingdom purposes on this side of town, could it be that God instead wants these two churches to come together? Why in the world did I do that? What made me say that other than I just felt the prompting of the Spirit of God at that moment to speak up and in some kind of wild imagination believe that God might be up to something more than what physical eyes could see. Well, that started a process of conversations. Six months later, I don't recommend this as an interim, but six months later, those two churches joined this new, vibrant church plant, came in to this group of 40 senior saints who every single one of them voted, gave them the property, gave them the facilities, gave them the rest of their savings account, $250,000, and said, God bless, let's go. And that thing took off like a rocket. The very first Sunday, the worship area was filled. Kids were running up and down the hallways that had been silent literally for decades. And there's a picture we have because the newspaper heard what was happening and they were so fascinated, they came out to do an article on it. And there's a picture there um, where the former pastor who was there during that really wonderful years of the 50s, his wife was still alive at 102. She was still showing up occasionally. We have a picture of her shaking hands with a young man from that church plant that had just come to Christ the Sunday before. Here's this guy with tattoos all over his head, you know, rough, off-the-cob kind of an individual being blessed by the senior saint. And that church has continued its connection to the community, and literally every single week people are coming to Christ. Why? Because the Spirit of God prompted me to speak up in a conversation and say, could it be 
What if do we dare imagine? See, that's what will kill. The slow fade. Going from movement to monument to more. It's going to take outrageous faith to dream this kind of stuff. Because it starts with us changing. But is there the spirit within Lakewood now, the spirit of the Old Testament man, Caleb, who at 85 years of age came and in Joshua chapter 14 was not ready to retire. He was not ready to sit back and just reminisce, but he came to Joshua and said, give me this mountain. He was an Old Testament imagineer, ready to tackle by faith a new God-sized adventure. Folks, let's dream together in these coming weeks. Let's allow the Spirit of God to empower our imaginations, transform our individual lives as we lay them open before Him, and may we never be satisfied here at Lakewood until once again as a body of believers, things burst forth here in a movement that brings glory to God. Wouldn't that be exciting to see? So let's pray for that right now. Father, we're not talking about things that humans can do. We're talking about only that which you can do. And that is to, in this church or any church, stop the slow fade. But once again, kindle a gospel energy because our lives are changing before you. And therefore, the body changes. And therefore, our community is impacted. Lord, would you do that for your glory? Lord, we just want to be bold enough and audacious enough to believe that it can happen here and now. Father, we want to be the kind of people that believe the best is yet to come. We want to believe that you're not done with Lakewood by any means. We want to look forward in faith, not by sight. And so, Father, we invite the Holy Spirit of God to come and do what he has been doing now for thousands of years, to plant within us eyes that see the unseen realities of what you want for us. May it start with us individually, where we need to be transformed by resurrection power, and then, Father, may it flow out into our whole body of believers that to your glory, other people's lives join this movement. Father, those are big dreams. I don't know the specifics, but I believe you can lead us as a body of believers in that which will honor you and so, Father, that's our prayer this morning, and we pray it to the God to whom nothing is impossible. We pray it to the God who is able to do abundantly beyond anything we ask or can even imagine. That's the God we have confidence in. That's the God who we trust in. So we leave it before you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.